Thank you, Trent, for reading our scripture today. We appreciate Trent, as well as all, all of our young men as they read scripture, take part in our services on a weekly basis. We appreciate Brad leading our singing tonight. And this morning, Billy called me early and said that he was sick, not going to be able to be here, and that he had called Raymond. Raymond was, Raymond was out of town, that he had talked to Tim, and Tim had a sore throat. And so he wasn't sure who was going to lead singing. And I was thinking tonight about we have gone deep in the bullpen. I can tell you one person that was not a candidate. I'd be myself. You do not want me to lead singing, I promise you. Danny might be willing to lead, but not me. But we do appreciate your presence tonight. Thank you, Brad, for leading our singing, and thank you for being here tonight. We're so thankful that we could be back together tonight to worship God in spirit and in truth. We do want to remember those who are sick in need of our prayers. Uh, as was mentioned a moment ago, Gene did get sick this morning after services, and we were grateful that he was able to get to the hospital, and they're keeping him overnight for observation, running tests on his heart. Hopefully and prayerfully, he'll be back with us very soon. So want to keep him and Kathy and others in our prayers. I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the passage Trent read a moment ago. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I want to begin tonight by saying that there is something that all of us who are members of the body of Christ have, a, have in common. The common bond that really ties all of us together is this fact. Somebody, somewhere, sometime took the time to teach us the gospel. And so today we are New Testament Christians because somebody shared the gospel with us. I am deeply indebted to my grandmother. She passed from this life 30 years ago, this November. And she brought New Testament Christianity to my family. I would not be a Christian today were it not for her. And I would imagine that there are many of you that could echo similar sentiments, that somebody in your family took the time to teach you the gospel. It may have been that a friend, a co-worker, a classmate reached out to you and shared with you the truth of the gospel that, as we sang a moment ago, Jesus saves. I can't help but think about what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, he said, We have seen and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. What our world needs tonight is the gospel. There are literally millions upon millions of people that need to hear the saving message of the gospel. It might be the case that there is someone that you know specifically that no one else in the world could reach, but you could reach them with the truth. I want to begin by reading again the passage that Trent read, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, of course, has been raised from the dead. He is about to ascend to heaven. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Tonight we want to think about putting the go back in the gospel message. I want to begin by taking us back in time for a minute. What I'd like for us to do is examine the first century church. Jesus, of course, talking to the disciples. He had instructed the apostles to tarry in Jerusalem until, as He would say in verse 49 of Luke chapter 24, they were endued with power from on high. They would preach the gospel on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem, where repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name. They would preach and teach the gospel of Christ, and as you well know, many people obeyed the gospel on that day, some 3,000 people. And so, what about this great commission? The Lord Jesus instructed them in a very emphatic way to go therefore and to make disciples of all the nations. God's intent was that the church would house all nations of people. Back in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah saw the church as an exalted mountain into which, as he would say, all nations of the earth would flow into. That exalted mountain that he saw was the church that we belong to today, and we're grateful for that. And so they were commanded to go and to preach the gospel, as he would say, to all the world. He would say in Mark 16, And he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. And so the marching orders of Jesus, the Son of God, given to the first century church. And I guess maybe the question that we might ask tonight, were they compliant with the Great Commission? Well, of course, we look at Acts chapter 2 and we think about Pentecost Day. Peter and the other apostles preaching the resurrected Christ. And the Bible tells us in verse 41 that some 3,000 souls yielded to the message of the cross and were baptized into Christ. In verse 47, Luke said, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, at verse 4, Luke would say that many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. In Acts chapter 5, at verse 14, Luke again would say that the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes both of men and women. In Acts chapter 6, in verse 8, again, Luke would say that the Word of God increased. In other words, the gospel was increasing in stature. People were yielding to the teaching of the gospel of Christ. And Luke tells us that the Word of God spread in Jerusalem. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Over and over again, what do we read about? The gospel of Christ being taught to people. People hearing the truth, believing the truth, and obeying. 
In Acts chapter 8, again Luke tells us with regard to the first century church, a great persecution swept the church in Jerusalem. Many of those disciples in that city were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. In Acts 8 verse 4, the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. In verse 5, the Bible says that Philip went down to Samaria and there preached Christ to those people. In verse 12, with regard to the work of Philip in Samaria, again the Bible says that when they heard the preaching of Philip concerning the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, they were baptized, both men and women. When you begin to look at the book of Acts, there was a common theme, was there not? That common theme was individuals, members of the body of Christ, taking the seed of the kingdom, which is the Word of God, and sharing that with people. The results were astounding, weren't they? In Acts chapter 16, we read about the Apostle Paul and his co-laborers. The first time the gospel was preached on European soil, Lydia heard the gospel, responded favorably. Lydia, of course, living in Philippi. And then we, we read about Paul and Silas making their way to Thessalonica, Berea, from there to, of course, the city of Athens, and then from Athens to Corinth. And the text tells us that Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth teaching the Word of God among them. And the commentary given to us by Luke in Acts 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So the first century church did their best to share the gospel of Christ with people far and wide. Now in Acts chapter 5 at verse 42, we read about the apostles being persecuted. They were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. And yet, though they were threatened not to preach or teach, no, they, nevertheless, because, even in, in spite of persecution, the Bible says in verse 42 that they continued preaching and teaching not just in the temple, but also in people's houses. So you have the gospel being shared publicly and privately. Now having said that, what I want us to do, you look at the first century church, and the evidence is there for us to behold, and the evidence is they took the Great Commission very seriously, didn't they? I want to just very quickly say before we look at the 21st century church, I believe there are three key reasons why the church grew in the first century. And if what they had in the first century, if what they had, we manifest today, is it not the case that the church today would grow as it did in the first century? So what were the, the key components, I guess we would say, to the church in the first century growing and abounding? Number one, I believe when you begin to investigate Scripture and you look at the lives of those great people in the first century, one of the things that stands out above all is their commitment to Christ. They were committed, weren't they? These people were on fire for the Lord. I mean, you think about the zeal, the determination. Their desire was to share the gospel with people because they were committed, number one, to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They really believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world. They were convinced that He was the Son of the living God. They took to heart His message, the saving power of that message, and they did everything within their power to share it with others. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. These folks were committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second reason, not only were they committed to Christ, but they were convicted. They were convicted about the Christ. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John, they had healed that individual, that man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem? As a result of that, they were brought before the Sanhedrin council. The council wanted to know, by what power, what name, have you healed this man? And they said, well, by Jesus. They would say in verse 12 to the Sanhedrin council, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Verse 13 tells us that the council marveled at Peter and John. They recognized that these men were untrained and uneducated. They had not been to any formal rabbinical school. They, they were not in the same league with a Gamaliel. They didn't have the credentials of a Nicodemus. But as Luke said, they had been with Jesus, and that was the difference in their lives, wasn't it? So the Bible tells us they commanded them not to teach nor preach in the name of Jesus. And here was their response. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That is conviction. Do we have that same level of conviction today? We have to have commitment. We have to be committed to the cause of Christ. We have to be convicted about the Christ, that He is the Savior of the world, and that He is the only Savior of the world. He is the only hope, is He not? Didn't the Apostle Paul preach Christ in you, the hope of glory, as he would say in Colossians chapter 1? Think for a minute about the friends and neighbors that you have, your family members. The only hope that any of us have is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If our friends, family members, classmates, co-workers, neighbors, if they're outside of Christ, they're going to be lost because of sin, aren't they? Sin is what separates us from God, according to Isaiah in Isaiah 59. And the only way to overturn the power of sin is the gospel of Christ. Because Jesus said, the truth shall make you free, didn't He? And God said, through Paul in the long ago, that His desire was that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we've got to be convicted about the Christ and that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the only hope of the world. And then there's a third key, I believe. And that is, we've got to have the same courage that they had in the first century. Let me tell you what. These guys in the first century, they were committed to Christ, they were convicted about the Christ, and they were courageous when it came to Christ, were they not? Imagine if you can, Peter and John, and they were just two examples. 
They have been called on the carpet by the Sanhedrin Council, that governing body among the Jewish people, some 70, 71 individuals. They have been commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, they said, look, we can't but speak those things that we've seen and heard. Having been released, they went back, talked to their fellow disciples, rehearsed the events that had transpired. And the Bible tells us they prayed for boldness that they might share the word. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the Bible says that they preached the word with all boldness. So they were people of conviction, weren't they? So we've got to have that same measure of conviction. We've got to have that same measure of courage. That same that same manifestation of commitment to the cause of Christ. Now, having said that, let's think for a minute or two about the 21st century church. Let's examine the church in the 21st century. I want to begin by talking for a moment or two about the task, the task that is before us. When we talk about evangelizing the world, that is an enormous task, isn't it? How many people live on planet Earth? What, some seven plus billion people? I can't begin to comprehend living on a globe with some seven billion people. But that's what we're told. So with regard to the enormity of the task, we have, as as has been said in in the past, we have our work cut out for us. There are... There are so many, many people. And yet Jesus said, go. The command still reads. It hasn't changed, has it? God's Word still reads, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples, listen to Him, of all nations. Every continent on this globe needs the same message. What's that message? It's the gospel of Christ. The good news, right? So, the task is enormous. Well, what about, we talk about the enormity of the task. Well, what about the expectation? I said a moment ago, it still reads go, doesn't it? Does the Lord Jesus Christ, does He still expect us to carry out His command? He does, doesn't He? I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't changed the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. His Word hasn't changed with regard to the Great Commission. The Word still reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So that expectation level is still there. And if the world is going to hear the gospel of Christ then as we sing from time to time, into our hands the gospel has been given, right? So we have the responsibility of sharing the gospel. So so if the task is enormous, and with regard to that task, the Lord still expects us to carry the gospel, the second consideration, the tools... Are there tools available to us to share the gospel with the lost and dying world? I'm convinced that we have more tools at our disposal to share the gospel than we have ever had in previous generations. Would you agree with that? 
You think about all of the opportunities that we have to share the gospel with people. It is incredible. You think about how many people listen to AM and FM radio every day. Radio is still a tremendous medium to share the gospel with people. We've seen the results right here, haven't we? And I think about the number of places that that our program goes in this country. And then by way of television. There are some really good television programs on in the city of Memphis that are produced by our brethren. As a matter of fact, on Saturday, beginning at about noontime, you can watch probably four programs produced by our brethren that are rock solid, beginning with James Road, where John Shannon preaches. And then that program is followed by a Bible answer hosted by Mike McDaniel. Counterpoint, I believe, comes on at at 1 o'clock. Jim Dearman also has a program, and we support that program, and it airs locally right here in this city. All I'm saying is there are opportunities to tell our friends and neighbors about television programs, about radio programs. Brother Ray Maples was here just a minute ago. We had to step out. He has an abundance of literature that he shares with people regularly. You think about the power of the printed page. There are still people that that read information related to the gospel, whether it be tracts, informative articles, or other things that have been printed. I mean, these are some tools that we have at our disposal. We tape our programs every week right here. Those programs air on the internet. You can go to our website. I think about the fact that people can plug in. They can watch our programs. We have CDs that are produced. And again, those are just some samples of what's available, not just here, but throughout our brotherhood. So there are so many tools that we have. We have Bible correspondence courses. There are things that we can use to share the gospel with people. But again, We've got to go back and realize that the expectation is individually, isn't it? It's not just congregationally, but individually. When Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, it's not just the responsibility of a congregation or an eldership or the deacons or the preachers. It is everyone's responsibility, isn't it? So, what do you think the trouble is with regard to evangelism in the 21st century church. Let me just ask this question. Do you think that as a whole, and I'm talking about brotherhood-wide, do you think that we are evangelizing like we ought to? Yes or no? Brother Bill, I think, said no. I, I I can't speak for the world. I can't speak for the church as a whole. But my guess is that we're not evangelizing as much as we could, as much as we should. Now, I say that to simply say that there are some reasons why I believe we haven't evangelized as much as we could and should. Many of us probably understand the magnitude of trying to share the gospel. 
And we understand what the Lord has said. And I think that deep down in our heart of hearts, I really believe that we want to be evangelistic, that we, will, that we want individually, congregationally, we want to share the good news, don't we? I, I really believe that. But I think that there are at least three reasons maybe why we don't share like we should share. Number one, I would suggest that there are any number of what I would call phobias. There may be a number of phobias, but let me just address a couple. The first is the fear of the unknown. What to expect? Is it fearful sometimes to talk to somebody about the gospel? Sure it is. Especially when it's somebody that we really don't know. That we haven't formed a relationship with which would suggest that maybe the best place to start is with people that we know, that trust us, that love us, maybe that are our friends, our neighbors, our, our classmates, our family members, whatever. But I think, I, I think deep down, I, sometimes we just fear the unknown. We're afraid to say something. And then you factor in the time in which we're living. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they'll tell you right up front, I'm not interested, or that, that's not my thing. And we're afraid of rejection, aren't we? People that are successful in sales, let me tell you what, they learn, they learn to accept the word no. No does not disrupt their pattern of work. They understand that for every no, there is, there is a yes. And so they just keep on keeping on. So I think sometimes we're afraid of the unknown. A second phobia is I think we are afraid somebody's going to ask us a question that we don't know. Would you agree with that? Look, there are some people that can pull some questions out of, out of their hat that, that may, quite frankly, stop us. Somebody may have a question, and maybe we don't have an immediate answer. My, my response would be to simply say, okay, that's a great question. And you know what? I haven't really studied that question, but if you'll give me a couple of days to go back and to research it, I'll do my best to give you a biblical answer. We've all, we've all got to start somewhere, don't we? We're not always going to have every answer. Now, we want to equip ourselves so that we can be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us. But it may be the case that somebody asks us a question and we say, you know what, I hadn't thought about that or I haven't really studied that. There is no harm in saying, okay, let's just study it together. You go home, you study that question, I'll go home, study that question, and we'll get back and we'll go over it. The fear of the unknown, yes. The fear of not being able to give a Bible answer. But think about this. To some extent, we all have limited knowledge, don't we? We're, we are at different levels, spiritually speaking, aren't we? But if you are a Christian, surely you know enough to tell someone what you did to become a Christian. That's a starting point, isn't it? To simply say, okay, here's what the Bible teaches. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. All right, 
Here's what I did to become a New Testament Christian. If what I did is what they did in the first century, and if you will do what they did, then we become what they were. And what is that? It's a member of the body of Christ. And so, so again, to just share the knowledge, maybe the limited knowledge that we have. It might be the case that maybe we're afraid of the unknown. Maybe we don't feel like we know enough. Surely we know somebody that would be willing to sit in a study with us. I don't know how many Bible studies Brother Ray's conducted, but I suspect quite a few. And I would imagine that Brother Ray's been stumped a time or two, but he's always sought to the best of his ability to find an answer. That's our goal, isn't it? We want to try, we want to, try to share the gospel with those that we know. Second reason why I think maybe we haven't evangelized as much as we should is preoccupation. We're so busy with life. We've got so many things going on. And again, I'm not trying to impugn the motives of anyone's heart, but I do think that, some, I do think that there's something to be said about how busy we are in this day and time. And that we have become so consumed with life that we just don't have time. I'm not saying that's a valid excuse. All I'm saying is that we become so preoccupied with other things that maybe evangelism has fallen through the cracks. And so to just step back and think, okay, maybe I have been too preoccupied. Maybe I've been so self-absorbed and so busy with the things in my life that I haven't evangelized as I should and as I could. And so we say, you know what? I'm going to do a better job. I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best to focus on talking to people about Jesus. I had a friend of mine tell me the other day, he said that he made it a point one year to every single day in his conversation with somebody to at least talk about God one time during the day with somebody. That's a starting point, isn't it? To say, you know what? Sometime today, sometime tomorrow, I'm going to say something to someone about the Lord. Again, that's a starting point. So there are many phobias. There is preoccupation. We've got so many things going on that we're just so busy we, we forget about evangelizing. Thirdly, procrastination. I think that there are a lot of us, we want to be soul winners, don't we? We want to share the gospel. We intend to share the gospel. It's our goal to reach our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our classmates, our cohort. We want to, we want to be evangelistic. But we just never get around to it, do we? I think in our heart of hearts we say, tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, I'm going to be better at evangelism. The only problem is we just never get around to it. And so, you remember Solomon said, who knows what a day may bring forth? Missed opportunities, lost opportunities are just that. They're missed, they're lost. When the day is gone, it's gone. It may be the case that if we don't share the gospel today, 
The person that we have on our radar is in eternity before we ever say anything. So we can't afford to let up, can we? We can't afford to procrastinate. And look, I'm not saying that I am perfect in this respect. By all means, I am not. And I would be the first to say that I feel inferior in many, many ways when it comes to personal evangelism. I really do. I understand. I understand and I know that there are people that are far better at it than I have ever been or that I'll ever be. But again, going back to taking to heart the Great Commission. There's one other consideration I'd like you, like you to think about in this lesson. We've talked about the task. We've talked about the tools, the trouble, but now the truth. What's the hard truth about evangelism? It really goes back to where we began just a moment ago. God expects us to evangelize, doesn't He? Didn't the psalmist say, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven. God's Word hasn't changed. The word go is still in the Great Commission. And so the Lord expects us to evangelize. But there are two things I want to share with you in closing. Number one, we can be assured of God's presence, can't we? Listen again to what Jesus said. The Great Commission, the twofold Great Commission. The first is evangelism. The second is edification. He said, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And here it is. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wherever we go, whatever we do for the cause of Christ, to know that God is with us, that when we are out sharing His Word, sowing the seed of the kingdom, God is with us. Didn't God say to Joshua in the long ago, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go? Don't we sing the song, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go? Is the Lord with us in our work for Him? Yes, He is. And then number two, we have His promise. Well, what is that promise? I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. The great prophet Isaiah said with regard to the Word, Here's what he said, God's Word will not return to Him void. All Isaiah is saying is that when we share the Word, when God's Word is scattered in the hearts and lives of people, it will not return void, but it will yield fruit. Do you believe that? And think about this in closing. Our responsibility begins and ends we're sowing the seed of the kingdom, doesn't it? We sow the seed, we evangelize, we edify. Didn't Paul say, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God did. We have no control over what people are going to do with the message that we share. That's God's domain, isn't it? The Bible says God is the one who gives the increase. So if we do our job, we can, we can be confident God's going to do His job. I believe that. When his seed falls on, as he said in Matthew chapter 13, honest and good hearts, what will it do? Bring forth fruit, won't it? I believe that. So I want to encourage us tonight. 
I want to encourage all of us to try to be more evangelistic. I don't know where you are in your comfort zone. I don't know where you are in trying to share the gospel with other people. But what I want to encourage all of us to do is try to identify somebody to share the gospel with. We've got to start somewhere, don't we? Got to start somewhere. We've got to start somewhere, and we've got to start sometime. And so my encouragement is, let's start today or tomorrow, and in doing what the Lord said, what will happen? Good things. Won't, won't good things happen? Didn't Isaiah said, as I read a moment ago, God's Word won't return void? So if we do our job, God will do His job. Let's close with prayer. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to be Your children. And Father, we acknowledge that the task before us is a daunting one. Give us the courage, the commitment, and the conviction to share Your Word with the lost and dying world. And Father, help us to be conscious of those who are lost and dying in sin and help us to reach out to them as best we can. We thank You, Father, for Your great love for us and we're grateful for all the many blessings that we enjoy. And help us to share the blessings that have come our way with those who do not know You. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe Him to be the Son of God and you would be baptized into Christ, the promise is that you'll enjoy forgiveness, Acts 2.38. God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47. If you're faithful to death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, maybe you need to be restored back to your first love. Could we encourage you to come tonight as we stand and sing for your encouragement?